everyone. My name is Amrit. I'm co-founder and CEO at Zetbook. I remember during my MBA days, which is about two decades back, there was a lot of conversation about how India has leapfrogged the manufacturing phase of development and gone straight to services. This was exemplified by companies like Infosys, Wipro, TCS, which were bringing in millions of dollars of service-led export revenue. Typically, the way most countries develop is they are first largely an agrarian economy, and then they become a manufacturing economy, and then finally services become a dominant part of the GDP. But uh, India uh, never really had a very strong manufacturing base or, or a strong contribution by manufacturing to its GDP. But this is changing. Today, there is a lot of interest about manufacturing in India. Part of it is because of government initiatives like Make in India and uh, the PLI, Production Linked Incentive Schemes. Uh, but there is a bigger global reason for it. And that is that countries and companies find having only China as their dominant manufacturing setup to be high risk. And India is the natural choice to de-risk themselves from the China exposure. And the infrastructure in India to enable companies to set up manufacturing has vastly improved over the last two decades. Within this kind of a macro setup comes a company like Zetwork. Zetwork is probably one of the fastest to unicorn kind of companies out there. They became a unicorn within three years of starting up. And Zetwork is essentially an asset light manufacturer. Now, when you think of a manufacturer, you think of somebody who owns plants and runs plants. But what Zetwork does is it works with hundreds of curated manufacturing partners and it gives them software, it gives them technology, it gives them business and it gives them funding to uh, manage the cap- uh, cash needed to run business. And it is responsible for fulfilling the client orders. This is a uniquely Indian way of tech disruption. Most uh, tech disruption in the West tends to uh, be about removing the middleman. But I really think in India, the the entrepreneurial energy, the existing infrastructure built by the small businesses needs to be leveraged. And this is the way to go about it, where you empower the small businesses instead of trying to eliminate them. Amrit Acharya, the founder of Zetwork, spent four years in a manufacturing setup within ITC after finishing his engineering from IIT Madras. After that, he went abroad for an MBA, had a stint in McKinsey as a consultant before coming back to India to disrupt manufacturing. And the rest of the journey is full of twists, which I will not give away. But Amrit has had an amazing journey of discovering the right way to build manufacturing-led business in India. Listen on to my conversation with Amrit Acharya about building Zetwork and the evolution of manufacturing in India. You're listening to the Founder Thesis Podcast, and I'm your host, Akshay Dutt. Tell me about your process of ideation through which you finally reached to the Zetwork idea. Tell, talk to me about yeah. that. So when I came back to India, I came back in January 2018 and I started, I decided in December itself. So I started talking to people and the first person I called, in fact, was Srinath, who's my co-founder today. 
Sheena and I had gone to undergrad together. We had worked at ITC together. We knew each other for 10 plus years also. It was a very high trust relationship. And uh, and when I came back, I think my I think I mean I was talking to few people. I was exploring few ideas. But I think by Feb of 2018, it became reasonably clear that Srinath and I are going to start a company together. Now, what is that company? We don't know yet. But to me, that was, again, the step one. Because I don't know, even if I'm doing the same idea, if whether I would have started it by myself. I, I felt I needed a co-founder who was part of that journey. And after Srinath, we got a few other co-founders, Vishal and Rao. And that to me was step one. You know, that, okay, we are going to do something together. I trust this, they trust me. And we don't know what it is exactly we will do, but we will figure it out. But amongst the things we were looking at, me and Srinath, we were looking back at our past again. And for me, I came back to my journey at ITC building of this factory. And I thought about it, like the way I had done it, I was managing hundreds of vendors, looking at 300, 400 crore of spend. I was doing it all on Google Sheets. I was doing it in a very, not very systematic, organized way. And and when I when we pinged our uh, friends at ITC back at other industries, nothing had changed. People were still doing these things in the exact same way. And and I mean, I loved manufacturing through that journey of ITC. And I felt that there is a big gap of a software stack that can digitize that entire journey and un- unlock a lot of efficiency. And it felt like a white space. We got attached to the idea very quickly. And it also helped that Srinath, his family business was into manufacturing. So his father mm-hmm. ran a small manufacturing unit and that what, was his family business for manufacturing. So he was basically a steel fabrication vendor for companies like BHCL and Srinath's father is an archetype of some of the suppliers we work with today, where there would be these large companies who would give designs of machines or machine components. And, and Srinath's father had a factory who could convert that design into a finished product. And it would be something as simple as like a steel beam to something more complex like a machine component. But it would be for one or two customers only. These customers are also, in case of Srinath's father, all his previous employers. So that's how this relationship started. Srinath's father worked for LNT, BHEL for many years. And then when he set out and opened the shop, they were his first customers. And that is very representative of the typical SME manufacturer in India today. Yes. They're all right. engineers. Some of them are professionals who have become entrepreneurs and they are risk also because India has traditionally not been a very open, high-trust economy and new customer is equal to risk. New customer is not equal to op. So we converged on, on this gap in the market through our collective experience. And I know what we do is very niche and esoteric to outsiders. But to us, it felt like a complete insider problem. This is something we were so familiar with over over many years of tackling it professionally. And it felt a very natural fit to to work on it as a business. Yeah, I just want to clarify what is the idea here. You're talking of digitizing the entire manufacturing of digitizing the system of setting up a new manufacturing plant. Yeah, now basically like what, if you look at, it starts with setting up a new plant or you or some machine is broken and you want to order a replacement. The way it works is who should I get it made from? Where let's say uh, I want to build a door. Let's take a simple example. You can't go to a shop and buy a door. No, there's no shop in India which will sell you a door. They will ask you what is the size of the door you want? What is this paint? What color should it be? And then what are some of these aesthetic features you want? There's a lot of specs that go into ordering something even as simple as a door. Now take that and extrapolate it to machines, which are highly complex or parts of infrastructure. 
So there is a lot of input that I want a machine which can do X, Y, Z. And then there are people who say, okay, I can make it for you. So that is the industry we are addressing. It's custom manufacturing. And the idea of Zetwork essentially is we work with these companies who want to get products made. We partner with these companies at the design phase when these products are either conceptual or there is some software like an AutoCAD file behind it or there is people are still figuring it out. And we take that input. It can be something as simple as a hand-drawn sketch to something as complex as a very sophisticated design. And we bring it to life into a product we can touch and feel. And we do it by working with lots of SME manufacturers slash contractors who can understand that design and convert it into a finished product. The role we play as a business is matchmaking. Once we get a design, what is the best way to get it made? A door kill, I can go to vendor A. For an aircraft engine component, I can't go to the same vendor. I need to go to somebody else. So we underwrite that. Who is capable of making what? Second thing we do is pricing because these are all custom. There's no MRP concept. I'm yeah. not buying a not buying a laptop. I'm not buying a I'm buying a Bas- machine. It's not a mass produced thing. Yeah. yeah, I'm buying a machine which somebody is making for me. So I have to figure out pricing for every transaction. We help do that. And lastly, we solve for fulfillment, which is of course the logistics of shipping the product from supplier to buyer, but also giving the customer real time visibility. Like you, when you order food on Zomato, yeah, you can uh, or Swiggy. What is you it? can see the whole thing and it, that's a 30-minute cycle. Imagine a three-month cycle where the customer has no idea. That is the world we are digitizing, where we bring complete tracking that, okay, your supplier has received the order. They've started manufacturing. They're in five steps of manufacturing. They're in step one, step two, step three. Here are so many photos that are showing the work in progress. Finally, the product has loaded, been loaded onto a truck. Here's a tracker from the supplier's location to your factory. There is so much black box that is there in this industry and, and we are we are we're throwing sunlight on it okay fascinating is this something which you understood from day zero that this is what we want to do <laughs> or was it an evolution that you started was, with a simpler more basic service and then it evolved into what you are describing so it started with much more humbler kind of aspiration initially we wanted to build just software for people like me who were buying custom products to interact with various suppliers. And we wanted to build a SaaS product for the manufacturing industry. So this, and then uh, what right now happens through tenders, so yeah. you were essentially building something which would make the tendering process easier where there would be a portal where the company would upload every time they had a requirement and then vendors yes. could log in, see requirements, exactly. place a bl- bid and then as the procurement manager, you can see all the bids at one's place and then you can compare and like something like that. Have you seen our pitch deck? <laughs> no, I have a very close friend in the manufacturing setup and we do very regular calls about his business and so I'm just... Like, this is what we do, this is what exactly our seed pitch we will build this software, uh, which does all the things you mentioned and a few other things. And that is how we raised our uh, first $1 million of seed from KM Sequoia. We, we built the product. Mm-hmm. We went to market. But why did you like need to... seed money? Because the, it doesn't sound like it's a software which needs heavy investment. Yeah, it. you are right. We could have gone either way. But that is where I think some of these decisions of... See, these are all very personal journeys. For me... I had come back from the US. My parents, I was getting married. My father was saying that I need some proof of success 
otherwise i can't introduce you as your another my unemployed card <laughs> and also like i had a decent amount of student debt uh, oh, because yeah. uh, right. i had gone for my ip abroad mm-hmm. my co-founder shinath also was in a similar but different life phase so we felt that a little bit of capital can give us the cushion to take bigger bet and of course there is a lot of fixed cost involved in building software before you can monetize it is combination of those two things on honest but you're right yes. like as two first time co-founders was it easy to raise the money or did you have to listen to a lot of noise before listening to a yes or yeah raising money honestly never gets easy there is of course a little bit of familiarity with you and and the, the business and at some point today the metrics and the cap table and the, the brand speaks for the business before you have the first meeting but when we are raising as a seed seed at the seed stage a we are you raise all the product right yeah we are raising fever it's all theory and b it is very esoteric like people if my pitch today is let's say there's not the, uh, resonating like us equivalent that you can say we are building the x for india there's no equivalent and honestly as first time pitching i was also not great at pitching i was i've also become better at explaining what we do over a period of time so you know the, so we had a lot of notes i think the whole process i think took us 3 months due to four months which i understand is not the worst like it can sometimes it can take much longer but ultimately and at the seed stage really like you're looking for a founders you're looking for investors you click with and the investors you're looking at looking for founders you click with it is something like that the we ended up pivoting the business but our investors are still big fans of us and all of that we actually pivoted the business before we our seed round had completed like we got the term sheet in april 20 we got the term sheet in april 2018 our money came in august where we pivoted the business in july so we went back to k and sequoia saying hey look i know you signed up for a software business but we want to pivot to a marketplace because of xyz and they were completely online because ultimately they felt that there was trust between them and us and yeah, at, at pre pre product stage you're really just betting on founders not the idea so i guess that would have been the approach what made you pivot did you build and launch and get some market feedback no so we built the product it took us like a, a couple of months from april to basically june we built to the first version we were pretty fast and uh, went to market we went to the same customers who had told us this is a great idea on theory and we went back to them saying look we have actually built it will you use it now and then the, and then we started hitting newer problems like our customers said i really like it but i am not a decision maker my it is a decision maker and then we went to it in india sometimes they said i am not a decision maker my it in us is a decision maker that that happened in case of ge they said oh i'm happy to introduce you to my cio who's sitting out there. and then we also realized it's a long long cycle and we were we were not prepared as a business for a long cycle a in terms of getting feedback from the market whether what we're doing is the right thing and be us as founders are we the most patient founders i would say we are not and uh, at the same time all these customers were asking us can i use your software to discover new suppliers like that came up enough times that they were not asking us in a very explicit way that build this for me but in terms of feature requests we were getting this seemed like a very common request and that's when we realized that we can actually solve that first and go back to software later and we pivoted the business to a marketplace business where we started introducing lots of new suppliers and then just picked up like a rocket like you know yeah true rocket ship what we what were you trying to sell it at the the saas service this product like what we just even we didn't care about pricing at all we just wanted people to use and we were happy even if somebody used it and for free and then we through that discovered what is the other product features we need to build we were in that mind space but when we started offering the marketplace offering it came with monetization on day one because marketplace businesses are easier to monetize because there is a take rate 
which people are willing to pay because both buyers and suppliers are better off after using your marketplace than without. The question becomes how much can you monetize? And that becomes a function of how sticky the product is, etc. But we started generating GMV on day one. We started with around one crore in the first month of operating. And then we went to 10 crores a month within six months. And that kind of growth shocked us also. We had definitely not seen or expected. And even our investors, like they were also pretty positively surprised. So our Series A kind of happened automatically. It was led by Excel and Sequoia one week before my wedding. Okay. <laughs> nice wedding. Um, yeah. Uh, and how much was the Series A? We ended up raising 9 million. Okay. Co-led by Axel and Sequoia. And so when you pivoted to Marketplace, what was, was it like an Upwork kind of a place where people are, their portfolios are there that this is my business and this is my portfolio and these are my ratings. Was that how you designed it or like what? Yeah, see, basically the approach was, if you look at a small manufacturer, there are a lot of parameters that go into the decision making, starting with what machines they have, what products can they make, what customers have they worked with before. These are the quality certifications they have. Basically, technical underwriting of what can they manufacture. And some of that information is already there offline in the form of a digital brochure. Like all of these SMEs, if you go to the, any other factory, they'll have these brochures, which is what they use as marketing collateral when they go and talk to an LNT saying, this is all the things I can do and this is all the things I've done before. We just digitized it. That was, so we created like this virtual work profile of a lot of these guys who didn't have websites even back then. And that was the offering. Like we just showed, we went to a, we went with a catalog of 100 vendors organized in a very systematic way with very rich, detailed data, which was not available anywhere else. This would have been like Zomato's version one where all he did depending was to put menus online. And so instead of looking for menus offline, you can look at menus online but nothing else. Yeah. So you did a nothing else. You can say that. And yeah. No, that's how it started. And it started as a actually we are technically today not a pure marketplace business. We are what we call a managed marketplace where the customers give us the order and we figure out where do we get it manufactured from. That is not how we started. We started as a pure marketplace where the customers selected the suppliers directly. We took a commission and we kind of moved on. But but that approach also started hitting its ceiling because ultimately in India, like you take any business, which is good, like even a Zomato that you mentioned, the business is not constrained because of demand. The business becomes constrained because of supply. Can you, in the Zomato example, can you deliver food reliably day in, day out with the timelines that you promise and no spillage, etc. Same thing goes for us. Like customers really like this, but Somewhere our suppliers were making mistakes and, and we have, we felt we had to step in with a lot of software layer, with a lot of high touch, low touch operational layer that ultimately solved for our customers getting product, what they wanted on time and with great quality. So that's when we made our second pivot into a more managed marketplace where to the customer, we are the supplier on record. They're working with us and we in turn executed by hundreds of thousands of suppliers in the backend. So we raised our series A, like, and we ended up raising it from Excel and Sequoia. And I remember like a seed round was extremely hard. Like it felt very difficult. By contrast, our series A felt like a walk in the park in some way. Because there was so much inbound interest. I think there was word that spread that we had hit onto something. We ended up closing our series A term sheet in like 10 days. Whereas our seed had taken 
like much much longer three to four months but and at this time the business was doing well like we were getting a lot of orders from customers and we were operating as a pure marketplace and what by, what i mean by that is we connected some demand with supply and we took a commission from the supply and we moved on it's largely like amazon where you know you facilitate the transaction maybe you do some services which we didn't do even there but we were just acting as a connecting agent that was the bulk of the way. you were like india art basically we were like india art and then we moved on and then and then what happened was a lot of suppliers took orders a lot of customers gave orders and then execution was completely broken suppliers took orders and were not able to fulfill and customers came back to us saying hey you've given us such a bad supplier this doesn't we will never work with that book again even though we had given our customers all the information they needed to take their own decision but they still felt that we were responsible for that mistake and i'm not saying we had zero responsibility but it was also largely variables outside our control at that point in time but that's when we realized that okay this is going to be a permanent challenge because ultimately while there is lot of intent to do this and we went back to our suppliers saying hey why are you delaying and they came up with a bunch of reasons oh my previous customer has not paid me and hence i'm not able to start the new order there's some labor strike i'm not able to arrange a truck in time and the product all kinds of operational issues largely and we felt that if we want to go really deep and this if this is a business we believe in we ultimately have to solve for these execution issues we cannot walk away from them and tell our customers look it was your fault you picked a bad supplier even though we told you all the information that you needed and that's when we pivoted to going the second pivot was from being a pure marketplace business to being what we call a managed marketplace where we take responsibility of the execution so it's so for a customer they are giving us the order for getting a certain product made and we make sure that the product is made as per spec as per quality as per timelines and we commit to that and we in turn run it through a marketplace model but we for offering a truly differentiated experience to customers we have to solve for all these problems we have to solve for working capital for suppliers we have to solve for logistics we have to solve for software for a lot of the entities and and hence you we will be a very we are like a very strong business partner if you ask any of our suppliers they will not say we are a we are not a agent they will say we are the customer because we are doing we are such a strong business partner to these suppliers that a lot of them today are become independent and codependent on us and vice versa when we find great suppliers that is 50% of the problem solved for us and 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 today when a supplier joins the zetwork ecosystem they get so many other benefits beyond just getting new orders from new customers help them with execution also and net they become very integral to us and we become integral but how the beauty lies in the details like how did you solve problems of small manufacturers and this is such an unorganized sector and you would have had to do a lot of first principles thinking around building solutions i, I want to hear those that process of how you solved these problems to make the supply smoother yeah see it is a qualitative and a quantitative approach a lot of times you have to talk to supplier and and then similar to how we heard from our customers that they wanted to discover new suppliers our customers also told us what they want they wanted number one thing they wanted was predictability of revenue if you talk to a typical small manufacturer in the industrial sec profile these entrepreneurs so shrinath's father was one of them he ran a fabrication unit in trichy and his customers were phel 
Srinath is my co-founder, PHEL and, and LNT. How did he get PHEL as a customer? Because for 10 years, he was an employee at PHEL. And then when he quit and set up his own shop, you know, BHL was his only customer. And over the next 10 years, he got LNT as another customer. But they have only two customers. And their fortunes are, go up and down depending on those, how these customers are doing. And hence, what you will see is a highly concentrated business. Their capacity utilizations are 40-50%. But it is not 40-50% flat through the year. Some months it is 100%. Some months it is 0%. Because the same guy is winning new sales, winning new orders and executing these orders and then when you and these are all fundamentally also engineers and when you talk to them they'll say sir these are all waste of time all i want to do is spend my time on the shop floor i want to convert this design into a product i don't like to go to customer follow up for payments i don't like to do logistics i don't like to do all these ancillary things i'm fundamentally a builder or, or an engineer and an engineer turned entrepreneur and so that's what we recognize that okay let us provide all these services to them so that they can focus all their energies on their core, which is turning the design into a physical product, organizing for labor, organizing for machines, and to enjoy what they do. This is why they this is why they had decided to become an entrepreneur. And we you know help them achieve that 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 dream. Quantitatively what we saw was if you break a manufacturing process into many steps, step one, two, three, four, five, eighty percent of the delays happen in step one which is that a supplier has to buy raw material and then he can push it into the manufacturing process. And they delay in buying raw material because they don't have money. Why do they don't have money? Because their previous customer has not paid them. And hence what they do is they buy that material on credit or they buy it, they get try and get a loan from a bank. All these things take time. And they do it only if they've got an order. So they won't do it as a parallel process. When they get an order, that's when they'll start okay, mobilizing money, material, etc. And that whole thing can take a month because they will want to optimize for the rate. If they've got an order for 100 rupees, they will buy raw material for, let's say, 70 rupees. They will not buy it for 75, even if it is faster. So they're happy to wait. And, and we realized that was a big, big delay. Once they bought the material, they've already put in their capital. They're incentivized to turn it around. Uh, but they will wait as much time as they can to wait for that person. And that's when you okay, let us solve that for you. And that's when we, today, that's what I meant by providing all these services for this. We help them with buying that material faster. Today, you have a fintech division? Uh, you get them like a... Yeah, we, you, you, it is. You, you can, we haven't formalized it in those languages yet, but we offer, we have partnered with various banks and financial institutions. So that tomorrow, if any of these manufacturing entities require working capital, they can be provided that on the click of a button, so to speak. Where all the underwriting has been done ahead of time. And that work is the anchor. Basis the strength of the anchor, which is us. A lot of financial institutions are willing to work with small manufacturing enterprises. And we have so much transaction, we have so much transaction data. We have so much volume of business that they have already done. That this is data that otherwise is not available to them. If you ask a bank, how do you fund this SME? They will say, I will take the three years bank balance sheet or best I'll take their GSE returns. It is not enough. Over and above, we're providing so much history that, yeah, nine out of 10 times, there's been no quality issue with this supplier. And that one out of 10 times, it has been a very small minor issue. These are very rich, important information. And that helps with underwriting these kind of folks. Mm -hmm. 
Plus, uh, you know exactly what is the value of the order. The amount of loan that he needs can be like auto-approved in the system. We also like, know I mean, who is the customer. We know that the customer is, let's say, Tata Steel. It's a big customer. They are going to pay. Whereas, you know, in a financial institution does not have that information. They look at only paper and 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 underwrite Okay, amazing. Okay, so this is one unlock. That's step one, which is the biggest hurdle in smooth supplies, which is getting them access to capital so that they can buy things quickly. You said you also did some like uh, workflow automation, ERP kind of tools for these the suppliers. Mm-hmm. That, like tell we me about have a lot, We have good amount. Like it starts with something as simple as when like in India, when in, in a lot of these B2B transactions, you will notice that there is a lot of paperwork involved. For example, every time supplier has to load a truck, right? They have to make a document called a packing list, which will basically say what all is the contents of that truck. The truck has 20 items, X, Y, Z. And because they're making huge volumes, they have to do it manually only. They have to see that, okay, these are the items that are going into this truck. That activity itself can take six to seven hours because these are big volume products. There's so much lying in their yard. They have, they're not sophisticated systems to keep track of what is there, where. We have built software that can do it in one minute because we know that this is a product that is being made. This product has so many components. And hence, when you're loading this truck, this is the items that are going into the truck. So this is just one example. This is more on the technical side. Similarly, when a supplier has to raise an invoice, along with the invoice, they need five, ten other documents. They need proof of movement of goods. They need actual weight of the product that was shipped. Out of them are statutory and regulatory in nature. Some of them are more companies want this information. And and again, we have provided all of this access where you can just print it because it's all there in one portal. It's all linked to one project. Think of our software as similar to email where instead of every row being like a new email, every row is one project that they're working on. And all the context of that project is in that image, starting with who are the customer, who is the, what kind of product it is, what are the documents, all attachments, everything there is in one place. So they don't know, hunt around looking for all of this. And it simplifies payments because the model customer can't say XYZ document was missing and hence I'm paying you in this link, mm-hmm. is missing. It's all there and digitized in one mm-hmm. place. Mm-hmm. For the customer, uh, who's the vendor on record? Like the invoice goes from Zetwork or from the invoice goes from Zetwork? Okay, okay. Mm. Uh, but so, the customers are aware of the model, so they mm. know that this is how we're running it behind the scenes. Okay, okay, okay. Got it, got it. Okay. So basically, you are totally owning quality uh, of the product timeliness of the delivery and to really own it you need to make sure that your supplier works i mean that you have as much information visibility as you would have if it was your own plant like in your own plant you would yeah, always have that, that is that, that that is the nutshell you're running thousands of factories through software versus owning these thousand factories and running them the old-fashioned that is mm-hmm. a summary of business Mm, okay, okay. So every I need to know suppliers better than they know themselves sometimes. Mm, mm. So try and go as deep as possible. Okay, okay, okay. Are you also looking at like using machine vision and IoT and these kind of tools to 
further automate and to give you more information. I, 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 the way I understand then, the more information you have, the better you'll be able to control quality. Uh, and so some of those kind of tools like IoT or machine vision could give you even more information. We have run a few pilots. I don't, I won't say that we have anything at scale yet. See, what happens is businesses ultimately are simple. 80% of the value comes from 20% of the features. And we have we discovered that organically and inorganically. Now, yeah, of course, the remaining 20% is also important. And that's where some of these cutting-edge frontier technology comes in. That There are a lot of examples. Like, for example, we would love to know how much electricity our suppliers are using because that gives us a sense of their productivity. And that is a classic example of an IoT use case that, you know, how much... And you can further slice it. You can do it at the entire factory level or you can do it at a machine level also to see what is the uptime of a specific machine versus historical precedents. Now, all of these things, I would say at this point in our company building journey are good to have. They are not critical or must-have, so they are not in an immediate priority. But we see enough and more examples that that we would love to do when we have hmm. department. So what is the immediate priority? Like you so said, easy to Yeah. Like, when we started the business, the first priority from a software point of view was to build for transparency. A, who is the supplier who's working on an order? B, what stage are they at? C, what kind of timelines are they following? And things like that. That was the number one thing. That you need to be able to predict that when it will be. Uh, when is the customer receiving their product? Mm. And we can't give a hawa answer. And we have mm. to be very detailed. Mm. Okay, mm. this is basis these forecasts and basis this these are the suppliers are working. You can expect your product next week or the week after. That is the number one problem we solved. Next thing we have now we've solved for quality. Are is the product that we are shipping is it the best possible quality? And what are the checks that have been done? The customers have said, I want these ten things to be checked before the product is shipped. Have those 10 things been checked? Then there are modules on shipping. Then there are modules on customers to supply communication. So we are building that operating system, which ensures that a design gets converted into a product. And what all are the steps that are required in that process? How much ever can be digitized over a period of time? Now, what happens is once we get this digitization, we start getting a lot of data. And one example of how we use this data is the that packing list example I mentioned, something which used to take six hours. Can we do it in one minute? A lot of it is through intelligence and data that the software gen. So that is our approach. Phase one, build that infrastructure, convert analog to digital. Phase two, build intelligence to convert digital into knowledge or, 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 or actions. Okay, amazing. Can you give me an example of an order which comes from a customer and then that whole life cycle of that order? Like a... Sure, sure. So one of our customers is Tata Steel, which is a large steel making company in India. So they are building a new factory in Kaliganang. They're building a new steel factory. For that, they need a lot of machine components. I'll give one simple example. There is something called a conveyor carry structure. You've seen a conveyor belt, which is where in an airport luggage moves, but in a lot of factories, material moves on these conveyor belts. Like, for example, in a steel plant, you will get iron ore from the mine to the plant. Below the steel, below that conveyor belt is a steel structure which is holding that conveyor belt in place. 
that is an example of a product we will be asked to make. That steel structure below the conveyor belt. We will get a design. It will, let's say, 10 crore worth of design. We will upload it onto our software where we have, uh, and that design will, 10 crores will have 1000 drawings, 1000 AutoCAD files. Each file will be like a part. Then out of those 1000 files, there will be at least 5 to 10 suppliers who will be identified through, again, internally through software and some part of it is manual. On who are the 10 suppliers we want to work with on this order. These drawings, 100 drawings each will be assigned to these 10 suppliers. So that A, there has to be no overlap because one mistake we have made as a company in year one was the same drawing sometimes went to multiple suppliers. So they made 2x the product, which ultimately we had to. These are the tiniest details that go wrong in manufacturing, right? When the process is done manually. Then for each of these 10 suppliers, these are the 10 steps we need you to follow. Step one is buy raw material. Step two is cut the raw material into the shapes that we want. Step three, you weld it. Step four, blah, blah, blah. Finally, you paint it and then ultimately you load it onto a truck. These and for 10 steps are uniform across product categories or yes. have you got... We have designed recipes that when we get a certain type of product, we say that, okay, this is the closest fit recipe that is involved in converting this product from a digital to a physical equivalent. And uh, once at the recipe level, there is no change. And for, but there are probably close to 100 odd recipes that we have okay. within the company. And this would be a manual process of deciding what recipe yes. fits yes. which product. What because it's an experience. Is a manual process. Yes. Mm. But eventually but you would have it. Largely in, see, it largely doesn't change. The next time we get a conveyor, Mm. It is the same. Yeah, it is yeah. it is the first time we are doing a new product. That mm -hmm. is when the manual step is high. Mm. Next time you do it, it goes through a pretty routine process. Like uh, you spoke of that cycle of converting data to intelligence. So yes. that would happen. Okay. Yes. The Then for each step, we need to, we then, we have a, uh, so let's say step one, uh, 10 steps. Hmm. For each step, our software says, this is how much time we think it will take. Step one mm. will take five days. Step two mm. will take 10 days. Step three mm. will take another. And the software time. knows this based on past similar orders. Yes, yes. Okay. Software knows this based on past similar orders. Mm. And mm. the final step is we have people on the ground or project managers who have mobile apps. They will get a notification that today at supplier X, milestone Y is due. So we would like you to go and check. And they go and check and see that milestone Y has happened or not happened. And since they're there, they take a photograph. And that photograph is what gets up sent to the customer, saying that this is the real-time status of your order today. And so much has happened. So that's the kind of end-to-end -end flow. And again, this just I'm solving for just timeline. There is layers of quality. There's layers of shipping logistics. There's layers of there's another step called production planning, where we want a customer has given us 10 orders. We want order one to be done First, order two to be done second, blah, blah, blah. That is, there's an entire module which supersedes this uh, module of tacking. You know, so, a lot of software, they all follow, a lot of it we have to build in-house, completely build in-house. Because while you could find modules of quality, modules of this thing, but we wanted to build like an integrated system which runs end-to-end -end smooth, completely smooth. And that did not exist. And that is what we have. This is fascinating that you have these quality inspectors, like these traveling quality inspectors who visit 
the various suppliers and ensure quality. So that is the primary tool to ensure quality. Yes. These inspectors would be taking photos and these photos would go to the customer also so that he sees what is the progress and amazing. Yep. Amazing. Okay. 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 Amazing. So uh, at the core essence, you are a data company then. The ability that you have to give a predictable timeline to a customer to ensure the product reaches on time, the, all of that comes from the past data which you have collected, which lets you judge what recipe to use, how much time will it take. And am I correct in that understanding? Yeah, if you look at us as entrepreneurs, we are generalists. I didn't spend a decade at Tata Steel figuring out how to make this conveyor belt structure. But the way we do it is, again, completely process-driven data-driven and technology-driven. And that is what has allowed us a lot of scalability. Over a period of some may say that we are a technology company who happens to be in manufacturing and could have chosen something else. Not that we, we love what we do, but that the essence of essence of the business is process, data, and people. You know, These three things combined to, to deliver the uh, experience to customers that they felt oh. was missing. What do you mean by people here? Yeah, are you talking on your on-roll employees or the vendors yes. you work with? Or? Yeah, it is actually like a combination. The suppliers, of course, are the heart of our business. We find a good supplier, 50% of our work is done. Then because they are doing the actual hard work. Let's not forget that. That they are doing the actual hard work of building this product. We are their business partner. And we help our suppliers become more successful than what they would have been without us. If we are not able to fulfill that promise, then our business does not exist. Because at some point, it will catch up. Somebody may want to work with you temporarily, but if they're not seeing value over a period of time, then they will outgrow us. The second part of our business and is having a strong talent pool employee base within the company because we are not a 100% digital company and we are completely open to, we are, it's something that we own. And what I mean by that is that example that you said earlier, that recipe has to be chosen manually. So there are parts of the, there are parts of the business which will be a combination of being done digitally and non-digital, combination of being done in a self-serve manner or not. Of course, over a period of time, more and more things will be said, but presently in that journey. And uh, and hence, like building a very strong engineering first company was very important for us. And engineering for us is not just software engineering. Engineering for us is actual hardware design engineering. So I think almost sixty to seventy percent of our headcount are engineers in some form or the other. Even our salespeople are also engineers who have become salespeople. They're not generalist people. They need to understand what the customer is ordering. Like from, yes. from that yes. perspective, they should be able to talk the same language as the buyer. Yes. Mm. So we are a very engineering-oriented business. And software engineering, of course, is a very important part of it. But there is a whole unseen element of how to make a product work the way it does. We are into so many categories when we're into consumer electronics. We need to understand how does a speaker work so that we can add value to the whole design and manufacturing layer over and above just being a vendor who gets the product made. So we understand how a speaker works. We also understand how an aircraft engine works. Now that is the diversity that is there within our business because we touch into so many different markets. What all categories do you cover? No, so almost half of our business is what we call industrials, where we serve customers in oil and gas, aerospace, automotive, medical devices, you know, infrastructure, oil, oil and gas. These kind of... Uh, this would be like 
Machinery which should help them in their manufacturing. Yes. What you told me, a wear belt example. Uh, so like similar it thing. Could be that, it could be a medical device itself. Like we have a few medical device customers for which we are making the actual medical device. The aircraft engine component is a real example where we make machine components which are ultimately going into a Boeing or an Airbus. Or some of our, we also make in an aircraft, the, in the, the plastic tray on which you keep the food. That is also... A product category we do. So, you know, it's very eclectic that way. So we do, for in oil and gas, we do a lot of work for refineries and we do a lot of work for pipelines. That is an industrial portfolio. Our consumer portfolio is, we do a lot of work in apparel. We do home decor, we do electronics, the big segment mm. for us. Okay, like speakers you were saying just now. Yeah, speakers, mm. all these, not Apple and Ports, but mm. for mm. other brands. Uh, wireless, wireless, mm. wearables, wearables, mm. these mm. kind of products. That's the range. Okay. There is this broad trend of manufacturing, like companies wanting to diversify beyond China. And uh, India traditionally is not seen as a favorable destination for manufacturing because of quality issues and labor issues and things like that. What's your take on this? Do you think that there are obstacles here that US network can solve when attract more global companies to shift their manufacturing base to India or are there like ecosystem issues which need to be solved at a broader ecosystem level? Yeah, the answer to your question is all of the above. So if we look at China actually is like a real ideal in terms of how they built their whole manufacturing system. If you want to get a speaker built as an example, you will find everything you need in a hundred kilometer radius of let's take Shenzhen or a city like Ningbo. You don't have to go beyond that. You want like the speaker itself, you want the plastic chassis, you want the electronic component PCBs, you want the the board on which to do the soldering. Everything you will find within that 100 kilometers. And that they have built over decades. India, that ecosystem does not exist. All these, firstly, India does largely assembly. The components you still have to import from China. And even the components that you have to import, you have to import from different places. You can't go to one one uh, entity and say, solve all of this for me. That ecosystem does not exist. Hopefully, that will happen with our country over the next 10, 20 years. And things like PNI, are, which are incentivizing the creation of domestic manufacturing, are very helpful you know, towards solving that problem. Now, in the interim, so in the short term, China has a huge advantage over India or any other country when it comes to manufacturing. But what has happened in the last one, two years, COVID and tariffs have exposed the concentration of China as a single manufacturing destination for Western countries. They real, in the last month itself, like last quarter, we don't have to look at examples of a month, year back. Last quarter, there was a huge, China had a big buildup of COVID cases and the country was practically shut. And you saw that impact felt across supply chains. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. iPhone shortages, iPad shortages. and Chip shortages, iPhone shortages. Solar panels were not able to be uh, manufactured and the entire industry was shut almost for almost a quarter. So people have realized that we can't depend on one country for all of our needs. Now, whether that shift becomes 100% to 10%, 20% or whatever it is, that is up for debate. But definitely that trend is there. If you talk to customers in the US, the number one strategic 
priority is how to diversify into what they call a China plus one strategy. And China will still be the dominant country, but there is one more country at least which shares the load. The first move was to Vietnam, which has a lot of similar advantages to China. But Vietnam is a small country. Hmm. It can only absorb so much demand. Like Vietnam has that ecosystem, like you can get all the components domestically. Not to the same degree as China, but it is a fairly sophisticated ecosystem compared to India. But of course, it has challenges of scale. It is countries only as big. And so the first wave of China plus one went to Vietnam. The second wave of China plus one is coming to countries like India. Because India ultimately is the only at scale market which can absorb that kind of demand from Western countries. If you look at our example, we have 20% of our revenue coming from the US. And these are companies who are largely first time buyers of India. They had never bought to India. And, uh, and the problems that you mentioned are, are there. Working with an Indian supplier is not easy. There is so much diversity in India. The supplier in North India is completely different from a supplier in South India. Sometimes they don't speak the language the customers want. There are all kinds of cultural and technological and market issues. We are doing our bit to to solve for that access for mm. different companies. Okay, okay. So 20% of your revenue is US exports, like you are exporting yes. products for US companies. Okay. Yeah, 15% is US, 5% is Europe, 20% Amazing. overall international. Amazing, amazing. Okay, okay. So you are then essentially acting as a layer to solve the quality issue which a Western company would otherwise face if they were to directly work with the Indian manufacturers. Yeah, see, I will again take a step back. So quality, of course, is extremely important. But quality is table stakes to do business. Okay. The biggest challenge with India, quality has been an issue, but biggest challenge has been time. Like people in India, we're used to yeah, yeah. Or committing in under the delivery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that culture cascades down to the last bite. Mm-hmm. And that has been the biggest problem because mm-hmm. at least in the West, people value predictability a lot. And to the extent they're willing to pay extra for that predictability, which is what China enjoys. China is a highly predictable market till two years back. Last two years, China has also been as unpredictable. as That has been the biggest problem. It's not been a quality problem. People are not moving outside of China because they're unhappy with quality. They're moving away because they're unhappy with the predictability. Okay. There is this whole factory of the future vision of like robotic arms building everything and those robotic arms are programmable to build whatever you want to. So you no longer have all of those labor issues which manufacturers face. Is that something which has your future for you to be running factories, those kind of robotic factories? Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely the trend. Now, the again, the double click of that is it lends itself well into categories which are technically very sophisticated to make. Like an automobile or a robotic robot, as you said, or, an a, or even an aerospace component. These are categories where, at least in our lifetime, I can guarantee that the process will become more automated than it is today. But when you look at some of the lower margin categories or the less sophisticated categories, like you take apparel, a t-shirt still has to be made the old-fashioned way. There are people on the shop floor who take fabric and of course parts of it are automated but they still have to stitch the product. Even the conveyor belt gallery example, you have to weld the item. It's robotic welding. But for a conveyor belt structure, it does not make sense to get it done in an automated way. It's still far cheaper to do it. So my prediction is that at least bulk of north of 60-70% of manufacturing will 
still stay as is over the next 10, 20 years. Uh, there are higher margin, more sophisticated companies which are in the process of being automated and more, more efficient. But do you see yourself owning that manufacturing process even more? Like instead of outsourcing to a vendor? We are open to it. Our general thesis has been, look, there is a lot of depth of manufacturing in India. That is why we exist as a company. Because if manufacturing, in, and now by extension, Southeast Asia, we are expanded our supply. Base. But there is a lot of depth of manufacturing. And we don't believe that when something exists, you create it again, just for the sake of creating it. If you can tap into existing resources, that is the preferred approach. But do you do run into situations where you try the hardest and you still find supply does not exist. Like the consumer electronics in India is a very good example. Because India was importing everything from China, there is hardly any local supplement ecosystem to speak of. Now we can say we will wait 10 years for this ecosystem to get created or we as a company can catalyze the creation of this ecosystem. And we have, in these situations, we will choose the second one where we will play a more active role. We will participate, we will create supply. Supply does not exist. But wherever supply exists, we don't want to create a fresh one. We don't want to compete with any of our suppliers. We want to be their business partners of choice. But at the same time, we recognize that there are gaps in the market. So uh, tell me about Z-Town. Does this come into that category of creating? Z-Town is that example. Yes. Z-Town is a, a great example of that second mm. one where what is 100%. Z-Town? Z-Town, Z-Town is a highly integrated facility for manufacturing hearables and wearables. It's a big facility that has been set up in Noida. It's one of its kind in India. If you look and if you, an example of product that gets made there are these ear, earphones that we are listening to. Nine out of 10 earphones in India are imported from China or even maybe 10 out of 10 are imported from China today. But we have so many local brands. You have brands like Port, brands like Noise, which are completely homegrown brands, but they still have to depend on, on importing of products because it's just very difficult to make products. Like this is very famous. I love this tweet by Elon Musk. Manufacturing is hard. People don't appreciate how hard it is to actually make. And uh, there was still that town. If you wanted to get it done in India, there was no Today with Z-Town, if you want to get products manufactured in India, you have at least one option. Hopefully, this will create an ecosystem of its own, catalyze more more such plants, or even we and we are not worried about competition at all because we only do it in areas where the market is so big. Like you're talking about a five thousand crore market in which all of it is imported. How you're setting up one factory? We're setting up a factory which can do whatever a certain amount of business. There is so much business to be shared and hopefully the creation of one unit creates that ecosystem and also creates the, uh, creates more units. Ultimately, the pie gets expanded because when the manufacturing is localized, the product becomes cheaper. Some of those savings can be passed to consumers and hence the market size itself becomes larger. That's our approach. Zetown is like a fully integrated, company-owned, company-operated manufacturing setup. It's, it is set up as a joint venture. Uh, one of the partners and the other partner is Mr. Shalab, who's the chief executive of and, and it is a partnership between us and them. So Shalab comes from a manufacturing background. Like, yes. Okay. So subject matter expertise. He's a subject matter expertise of these products. Okay. okay. So the operational uh, efficiency, operational management is that's what uh, he's handling. Okay. Yes. 
Okay, okay, okay. Got it. Got it. Yeah, so for these manufacturing hearables, everything is done in-house or you would still need some components that you would either buy domestically <laughs> or... We have to buy still, like majority of it is still has to be imported from China, unfortunately. So it is, uh, if you quantify value on a scale of 0 to 100, previously it was 100% China. Today, through us, maybe we have brought it down to 90 or 85%. Yeah, 15% India. So the journey to make it 100% India will take a decade because there are so many bits and pieces involved and it never goes into the details. But unless you start, it, it will forever be 0% India. And that is how we should use that term. And, and there is a lot of opportunity and potential there. But you are hoping the town would be a catalyst where some Indian manufacturer or some Indian entrepreneur would be inspired to start producing something in India so that you don't need to import it, which you can just buy it from him. And what Bharati did for automotive sector yeah. in India. I mean, it, it just builds the baseline Tier one, man. so manufacturing of the this language, there's the OEM, who's let's say a Maruti, then the tier one vendor who will make let's say the door of a Maruti, then there's a tier two vendor who will make a door handle, and then there's a tier three who will supply the raw material for that door handle. So that's the integration that is happens over decades. In consumer electronics, we're not even a tier one, so that is has to be created first. Tier ones will create tier twos, tier twos will create tier ones. That's Why do you say you're not a tier one? How do you define what is tier one? No, no, India is not a tier one, I'm saying. It's India is not a tier one. Okay, okay, okay. That, that the tech system does not exist. Got it, got it. Okay, okay, got it. For you personally, what are your priorities over the next five years? What are some goals that you are chasing or what are some of those transformation projects that you want to undertake at Zetwork? Yeah, so I was quickly becoming a large company and we just recently crossed the thousand employee landmark, which is a milestone that we took our time to get to. There are, even though there are companies, we have had an approach where headcount should be thoughtful. Yeah, yeah. thousand is that, very lean. You are a unicorn and for a unicorn to have thousand employees is extremely lean. Yes. We look at matrices such as GMV to headcount. And I would say ours would be very efficient if you stack rank us compared to other companies. It's been very thoughtful. We can easily be 5x the headcount. I think there is no challenge with that. But but being thoughtful about headcount has allowed us to be A, lean and B, not be too worried about what's happening in markets outside. And especially in these kind of situations where you see a lot of stress on balance sheets and profitability. We were profitable last year. Well, okay. So you're saying you're... No longer need external funding now, like you're at that stage. It's in some ways, like the business generates cash, but the business does not generate as much cash as we would like to fulfill all of our uh, opportunities. So, for example, if you want to make a 100 crore investment and the business is generating 10 crores of cash, we don't want to wait 10 years. So, sometimes you may need okay. capital. Z-Town kind of expansions would... Those bets need capital or even I think but international. The thing is, yeah, international. But the good thing is it's completely our choice. You can choose to do it or not. We're not obligated by any situation. And uh, and so that was one goal for us to reach this milestone where we are in charge of our own destiny to whatever extent. And we reached that last year in a market where it is completely unfashionable to do. It's just, <laughs> there's too much capital that we have to play. I think our next big milestone is, so we are currently doing around one and a half billion dollars of GM and uh, manufacturing ultimately is a scale business. The bigger you get, the more economies of scale you unlock through various channels. And I think over whatever time period we have to expand that 
opportunity set from 1 billion to 5 to 10, I think would be important for us because one is purely looking at it financially, but second is with scale, our ability to help our manufacturing partners, our ability to help our customers actually meaningfully. Of course, as companies become larger, the problem is they also become less productive. So we have to be mindful of that, which is why we look at headcount very thoughtfully. Even if we can afford, does not mean we will spend. But at the same time, we have to focus on growth because growth unlocks a lot of levers for us. And I would say that's the primary. What levers does growth unlock? Like, how does it make you add more value? Then like scale as an example, as I said, today, if you look at, we are operating in industrial as a category. We are one of the top 10 buyers of steel in India in the, and, and the companies ahead of us in the list would be like all well-known names like your LAT or Tata's and we have reached this in four years time period. Now, because of that, what happens is when you become such a large buyer of a commodity, you are able to have some influence at the price at which you're able to buy these commodities. And some of these pricing benefits you keep for yourself or the business. But most of it gets passed on to the manufacturers you work with and hence if a supplier works with ZBook today, their cost of manufacturing is lower than what they would get if they did not work with us. Now that becomes a big mode for the business over a period of time. And there's just one example where scale. There's similar other examples around capital and things like that. So growth in general is a priority. And then within that growth, I would say international is also a priority. Today, 20% of our revenue comes from the US. There is no ceiling on that number. It can be anything we would like. Of course, we are fundamental believers of the India growth story. But at maybe a year or two from now, our growth in India will reach a phase where we will grow along with the size of the economy. If the Indian economy grows, we will continue to grow. And hence, we will have to look for newer revenues. And international is one such thing. We have not reached that yet. But the third level is international supply, which is what we have started. Today, we have big operations in Vietnam. Vietnam is our second home market from a supply point of view. And that again unlocks a new type of demand. It unlocks a new type of supply. It's a very kind of cascading effect. So our approach in general is to be a global company. It's built from India, built for the world. And, and we will just continue delivering on that. So you can now do like a blended manufacturing where something is getting done in India, something in Vietnam, and it is all getting shipped to the US, for example. We already do that. So oh, wow. there are parts, parts of our business which, which mm. we try and avoid it because some of these things look good on Excel, honestly. When it comes to manufacturing, you want to keep it as simple as possible. Okay. Find one supplier, mm. not 10, if you can. Mm. And within that one supplier, try and do all of it in that one facility. Mm. It's just easier. There are situations where you want to mix and match mm. and we are very well positioned to do it. Amazing. If you like the Founder Thesis podcast, then do check out our other shows on subjects like marketing, technology, career advice, books and drama. Visit thepodium.in that is T-H-E-P-O-D-I-U-N dot I-N for a complete list of all our shows.